The Library of the Bible is itself a work of art, a kind of gallery full of stories, poems, songs, images, parables, architecture instructions, each in its own way artfully told, often using artful tools and techniques, parallels and patterns, motifs and distillations, vivid emotions and dazzling light. And so our guides in this six-part exploration of the Bible and Christian life, this pilgrimage to Easter morning and beyond, have been two artists, Wendell Berry, who paints pictures with words, and Henri Matisse, who made poems with paint. And so here, in this concluding part six of this mini-series, we'll turn to what is arguably the greatest work of art in Christian history. It's not Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, or Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, or Handel's Messiah, or Bach's St. Matthew Passion. It's not Alvin Ailey's choreography Revelations, or a song by Hildegard of Bingen, or a poem by Dante, or Maya Angelou, or an icon of the Trinity by Rublev. It's not an African-American spiritual, or a Byzantine mosaic, or a Latin American mural, or a cathedral in Paris, or Kinshasa, or Mexico City. No, those are all virtuosic works of brilliance worth visiting and revisiting, but the greatest work of art in Christian history is something else entirely, and it brings us all the way to the end of the pilgrimage and the beginning of new life, at once more beautiful and more free. I'm Matthew Meyer Bolton, and this is Strange New World, a show about understanding the Bible for skeptics, believers, and everybody in between. Toward the end of his life, Matisse fell ill, and two surgeries left him confined to his bed or to a wheelchair. Sculpture was out of the question, and even painting, which requires lots of standing and stamina, became impossible. It could have been a chapter of languishing and captivity, but once again, Matisse went the other way, creating a new form of experiencing freedom, reinventing his art. He began painting with scissors, as he put it, cutting paper into fantastic, beautiful shapes. Matisse called this period his second life. And then Matisse did something truly unexpected. He went even bigger, creating his largest-scale work at the very end of his life, completing it at the age of 81. This work was larger than a painting or a sculpture or a mural. It was an entire building, the Chapel of the Rosary in Vence, France. Matisse designed it all, from the stained glass windows to the line drawings on the walls to the liturgical vestments. His bright colors, clear lines, and cut-out shapes of leaves everywhere leaves fill the chapel with luminous, serene joy. 
Now, the Chapel of the Rosary is not the greatest work of art in Christian history, but it is on many people's short list. Matisse himself considered it his masterpiece, the culmination of a lifetime of work. Early in his career, he wrote that he dreamed of, as he put it, an art of balance, of purity and serenity, a soothing, calming influence on the mind, something like a good armchair, which provides relaxation from physical fatigue. Many of his contemporaries criticized him for this good armchair comparison, but Matisse insisted that art should often provide a kind of rest and restoration, a kind of Sabbath, we might say, and so, like the Sabbath, a kind of joy. He said, a painting in a room spreads joy around it by the colors. Chapel of the Rosary is a pinnacle for both of these ideas. If a good armchair is an immersive, restful experience of Sabbath, a good chapel is even more so. It's a work of art we enter and explore. It surrounds us on every side, and in worship we become part of it. And likewise, the chapel is filled with effervescent joy. The blue-green and yellow light from the leaves in the stained glass falls across the white tile walls and their simple black line drawings of Mary and Jesus and St. Dominic. Many who step into the space for the first time are moved to tears. But turn around and look at the back wall of the chapel, they find something surprising. The 14 traditional scenes from the Stations of the Cross, all in one place, rather than conventionally positioned in different locations around the chapel, arranged in a serpentine S-curve, perhaps evoking the serpent in the book of Genesis, an imposing portrait of sin, that is, betrayal, desertion, violence, brutality, But what's most surprising is that they're all drawn in an extremely rough, almost slapdash, jumbled style. Not elegant, not graceful, not decorative, but the opposite. It's ugly. Matisse wanted to capture the chaotic, devastating essence of each scene, and as he later put it in an interview, he did not want the drawings to be beautiful. I have not painted beauty, he said. I have painted the truth. The truth of the passion is not, and has never been, beautiful. And then there's this. By placing this disturbing ensemble on the chapel's back wall, opposite the altar, Matisse creates a clear choreography. When we turn toward God's table and the glorious tree of life stained glass window behind it, we turn our backs on the way of scapegoating and violence, suffering and death. So, What is the greatest work of art in Christian history? The Chapel of the Rosary helps us to see the greatest work of art in Christian history is Holy Week, that most sacred week of the Christian year.
Palm Sunday to Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. Now, someone will say, well, that's not a work of art. A work of art is a piece of architecture, or music, or a narrative, or an image, or a performance. But of course, Holy Week is all of these things and more. It brings these modes of art together into one continuous, fully immersive form, rooted in the Bible's library, and here's the crucial thing, giving each of us a part to play not as spectators, but as full participants. Here is a work of art that can't happen without us. And that us is now a diverse and sprawling group extending all over the world to its many cultures and going back something like a hundred generations to the original Holy Week described in the Gospels. And in any case, seeing Holy Week in this way as a work of art helps frame the question, How should we understand it as a whole? Is there a key theme that connects its many pieces or stanzas or movements, a through line that holds them all together? It turns out that there is, and it's a through line that's often overlooked. It all goes back to those leaves. As Matthew tells it, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives nearby. It's essentially a piece of street theater, dramatizing an ancient prophecy from the Bible's library, Zechariah's vision that on the so-called Day of the Lord, God will arrive from the Mount of Olives as a divine monarch over all the earth, riding not on a war horse, but on a humble donkey, announcing peace to the nations. Now, the crowds lining the streets, Matthew says they lay down their cloaks on the road for the donkey to walk on and also do the same with some tree branches. So why cloaks and branches? Well, just as the arrival evokes Zechariah's ancient vision, the cloaks are a reference to an old story in 2 Kings, where a group of military commanders lay down their cloaks in front of a new king. So keep that in mind, a group of military commanders. And the branches are a reference to the Jewish festival of Sukkot, a Hebrew word for booths or tabernacles, basically temporary tents made of leafy branches. That festival commemorates the story of the Israelites' exodus from enslavement in Egypt into the wilderness, where they live on the move, relying on God and dwelling in temporary shelters made of, you guessed it, leafy branches. The book of Leviticus includes instructions about celebrating this festival. Worshippers are to form a procession around the temple altar carrying branches of myrtle, willow, and palm trees. Hence the name Palm Sunday. Those branches, those leaves that the crowds wave and lay down at the donkey's feet, they're a way for the crowds to signal what they think is going on. A new exodus, another liberation from bondage, out into a life of freedom with God. Just as God delivered our ancestors from Pharaoh in the past, so God is liberating us today from Caesar. Or at least that's what many in the crowds likely thought or hoped. They cry, Hosanna, 
which is a joyful exclamation, yes, but it literally means, save us, we beseech you. It's a cry for help, for deliverance. That word, Hosanna, is also a reference to a song in the Bible's library, Psalm 118, which also mentions the festival of Sukkot, and is a song typically sung in connection with, wait for it, Passover, the beginning of the exodus from Egypt. And all this isn't just biblical trivia. This helps us make sense of one of the central mysteries of Holy Week, why the crowds, who seem so excited on Palm Sunday, are so quickly disillusioned and call for Jesus' crucifixion just a few days later. The reason is, they think this is going to be a military exodus, right? They lay down cloaks, just like those ancient commanders did. They cut branches, evoking the original exodus, you know, the one where God vanquishes Pharaoh's armies. In their minds, this is the day of the Lord, the day of conquering, the day of victory. And when a military triumph does not immediately come to pass, and in fact, when Jesus soon falls into the hands of the Romans, betrayed by one of his own followers, not even putting up a fight, refusing to put up a fight, saying to his disciples, all who take the sword will perish by the sword, the crowds soon enough decide he's a disappointing imposter. He's no Moses, we can imagine them saying. This is no new exodus. This is the opposite. The through line is clear. In almost countless ways, Matthew and Mark, Luke, and John do the same in their own ways, repeatedly weaves the story from the jubilant arrival to the cross to the empty tomb through the lattice, the framework of the Exodus story. First, those leaves, those branches, right? Then the Last Supper, the first Eucharist, the communion meal, which is a Passover meal. Then the death, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And as we saw in the last episode, the Passover lamb is not a sin offering, but a form of protection from death-dealing powers that inaugurates, that begins the exodus into the wilderness the life of intimacy and learning with God, sleeping under those leafy branches. From beginning to end, this is a new exodus, just not the type the crowds are hoping for. God has a deeper, more abiding form of liberation in mind. Liberation from sin provided we understand sin not merely as guilt or doing bad things, but as hindrance, shackles, captivity, whatever is holding us back, individually and as a community, from being the children of God in the image of God that God creates us to be. To be free in this sense. To turn away from that scrawled, chaotic, ugly wall of betrayal and contempt, scapegoating, violence, and suffering, and turn toward that blue and green and yellow stained glass window, luminous and clear, that portrait of the tree of life. to turn away from what Wendell Berry evokes in this Sabbath poem. 
a meditation perfect for the Friday of Holy Week. It is the destruction of the world in our own lives that drives us half insane and more than half. To destroy that which we were given in trust, how will we bear it? It is our own bodies that we give to be broken, our bodies existing before and after us in clod and cloud, worm and tree, that we, driving or driven, despise in our greed to live, our haste to die, to have lost wantonly the ancient forests, the vast grasslands, is our madness, the presence in our very bodies of our grief. To turn away from this destruction, not to forget it or erase it, it's still there on the back wall of the chapel, but to turn from it, to turn toward restoration and grace, the slow, patient work of redemption which may begin on Easter morning, anticipated, foretasted on Easter morning, and then lived out well beyond it. Here's Barry again. Slowly, slowly they return to the small woodland let alone. Great trees outspreading and upright, apostles of the living light. Patient as stars, they build in air, tier after tier, a timbered choir, stout beams upholding weightless grace of song, a blessing on this place. They stand in waiting all around, uprisings of their native ground, downcomings of the distant light. They are the advent they await, receiving sun, and giving shade, their life's a benefaction made, and is a benediction said over the living and the dead. In fall, their brightened leaves released fly down the wind, and we are pleased to walk on radiance, amazed. O light, come down to earth, be praised. In the end, Holy Week is a vision of a new exodus, a new freedom, a new life. Every true Sabbath is a taste of it. Whatever hindrances, whatever shackles hold us back in the shadows of death, they are no match for the God of life, maker of heaven and earth, just and generous, graceful and free, who calls each one of us a child made in that very image, to be and do the same. One Easter Sunday, Barry took his Sabbath walk in the woods among the leafy branches and wrote this poem. The little stream sings in the crease of the hill. It is the water of life. It knows nothing of death, nothing 
And this is the morning of Christ's resurrection. The tomb is empty. There is no death. Death is our illusion, our wish to belong only to ourselves, which is our freedom to kill one another. From this sleep may we too rise as out of the dark grave. Jesus, Wendell, and Henri has been a mini-series by Strange New World, a Salt Project production, written and produced by me, Matthew Meyer Bolton, with help from Elizabeth Meyer Bolton. Music is by Pablo J. Garman, Blue Dot Sessions, and Epidemic Sound. If you like what you hear, spread the word and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help people find us. And drop us a line at community at saltproject.org. And if you'd like to go deeper, SALT has devotionals for Lent based on the work of Wendell Berry and Henri Matisse, which include more details, activities, links to the paintings, and more. You can find them in the store at saltproject.org. Thanks for listening. A blessed Holy Week. And see you next time.